0: that is very difficult, if not impossible, for the flesh. It is a spiritual power that the flesh wants nothing to do with. The flesh just wants to be fleshly, influenced by the world, and often influenced by uh, the enemy. So, There is some things, some points I want to make about grace um, before I even go into the teaching. Some facts about grace are that, one, that grace is not light on sin. When people speak about grace, many times other people are thinking, well, this brother is light on grace. That's why he's talking light on sin. That is why he's talking on grace. No, grace would not be that incredible power that it is unless sin was that deep and that dark. Yes? If sin was yea deep, it didn't take a lot of grace to overcome it. But sin is way deep. Some of the stories and parables that, teach, that Jesus teaches us shows clearly how deep sin And how deep and great our debt is if we were going to pay it, which we couldn't. And so, therefore, grace is needed to overcome it. So, grace is not light on sin. Grace is a spiritual power. Grace is Christ's likeness to the nth degree, if there is such a thing. (laughs) Christ's likeness by itself is to the nth degree. So, um, um. Grace is, is a kingdom virtue. A kingdom virtue. It is not a worldly virtue. So if you are going to um, expect grace from people in the world, you will rarely get it, if ever. It is not, it's a, a kingdom virtue. Grace is not fair. Get that through your system, folks, that grace is simply not fair. Otherwise, it wouldn't even be grace. Because the things that grace asks, and we'll go through many steps in just a little bit, you will notice that grace is not fair. It is asking me to pay for your mistake. That is not fair. And that is just saying it very lightly, because we'll go into more detail in just a little bit. So, if you think that grace is going to be fair, you're sorely mistaken. You will never be into grace if you're waiting for fairness. And I'm not waiting for fairness, because if God had to deal with me on the basis of fair, I would be in deep trouble. So, grace is not fair. Grace is free to the recipient, but it costs the giver of grace. I didn't get an amen on that one, but that's okay. Uh, Grace, and this is, I think, where Christians need a reality check, I think, often, is that I told you last week that a pastor from Argentina, he's now in the United States, but a pastor from Argentina, Juan Carlos Ortiz, he really influenced me a lot in my early Christian walk. And he mentioned that his church came to its senses when it decided, when she decided, that, Pastor, you teach us too many things. We haven't gotten good at anything yet. And then you're already switching to something else. So they are doing eight sermons or eight subjects, not eight individual sermons, but eight subjects that they explore and that they practice and they get better at and then they go on to the next thing. I'm not going to do just eight a year. Okay, don't 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 get nervous. But it is a thought because if I taught tennis like we do in the church, they wouldn't learn tennis. Hey, today we're going to. Go, hey, we're going to talk about a forehand. Next time we're going to talk about a backhand. Next time we're going to talk about the serve. Hey, how about repeating the forehand a little bit? I haven't I haven't perfected my forehand yet. How about spending some extra time on my backhand? I need some practice on my backhand. But in Christian circles, when somebody repeats some things often, people get bored with it. And I tell my tennis student, when you have won Wimbledon or the U.S. Open, then you can get bored with my drills. But until then, you cannot be bored. You have no reason to be bored. You need to still improve. I get a little excited, but yeah. I'm not upset. Uh, So, the the last point of grace that I want to make in advance before I start is that grace, my dear brothers and sisters, takes a lifetime to learn. A lifetime to learn. So, when you hear somebody talk about grace on the TV, put it on. And see what he has to say. If it's not any good, forget it. Don't, don't worry about it. But maybe it's good and you, you keep some of those things. Because the title of the sermon last week and this week is Grow in Grace, as Peter is saying at the end of his second epistle. Grow in grace. Now it has a lot of meanings to me. A lot of uh, ripple effect, if you will, in my mind. One, it means that you need to continue to improve on grace. Is that that what it means to you? Grow in grace. And he didn't say, now, when you have arrived at such and such a stage, you don't have to grow anymore. He said it to every Christian believer that's going to read this. Grow in grace. We all need to grow in grace. And for me... That is simply good news. And I'm thinking, I'm 70 years old. I've been a Christian for up 10 years, and I still get to grow. Whoa, how much better can it be next year? And how much better, much better can it be the year after? And husbands and wives, your husband is a jerk right now, but how much better can it be in five years? I don't know if he's a jerk, but there's plenty of jerks. I do lots of counseling, Remember? Okay, so, <laughs> so, uh, 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 you remember one of our memory verses was uh, Philippians one seven one six that said, "Being confident of this very thing, that he who had begun a good work in me will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ." So he till the till Jesus comes back, he'll keep improving you and make you more like Jesus. So, yes, progress, growth, grow in grace. So, let me make another couple of points, uh, then I'll start with part two of Grow in Grace. Um, You know the story of the prodigal son? I think it has the wrong name. I call it the story of the loving father. What a loving father. And it portrays the kingdom of God. It doesn't portray the the sinner so much. is that the the loving father really loves his children, no matter how bad they are. So, my dear brothers and sisters, if you think you've gone to a place that is too far and too dark, God will find you over there if you're just willing. And, And, my dear brothers and sisters, no matter what you have done, he will declare you, pow, at that moment. Not guilty. That's a, That's a lesson, all right. Not guilty. Free of all guilt. Set free to the end degree. You, 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 no guilt, no shame, no fear. It's all gone. God is not into shaming you. Thank you, Lord. Okay? So if somebody takes you there, they're taking you to the wrong place. God is not into shaming. Yes, there are some things you do right and some things do you wrong. We all do plenty of things wrong. So, good lesson, don't point your finger at somebody else who's doing some things wrong too hard because, yeah, hey, point it out in a loving way. Uh, uh, Jesus says, and this is not even part of my sermon, Jesus is saying, hey, uh, don't judge the other guy. You have a tree in your eyes. You have a tree in your eyes. How are you going to find the speck in somebody else's eye when you have a tree in yours? It is not that you cannot help a brother or a sister. It is that get the tree out of your eye first. Then you can see the speck in the other person's eye. And then you'll be able to help them. And you're going to help them as the, as the whole idea of the New Testament is in a loving way, not in a condemning way. Yes, sometimes it's a little more stern. Not other times, but not in a condemning way. It is not about making people feel shameful and guilty because they'll do that all by themselves. I can't tell you how many people I deal with that are ashamed. But Jesus has declared you. He's taken your shame away from you. Do you, know, you realize that that is part of why he died on the cross? He took that shame. We'll look at a verse here in a little bit. But so, uh, so the story then about the the loving father is that uh, the, the the son squandered the younger son squandered about a third of the family fortune on 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 loose and wild living, ran out of money, looked for work, the, wherever he found work, they put him with the pigs one of the great humiliations for Jewish people is to working with pigs. And, um, and uh, he says, you know what? This thing, this thing ain't working for me. <laughs> I'm moving a little bit close to the young people now. <laughs> I don't know why exactly, but because young people have the idea that if they could just leave their house, things would be better. Nothing is further from the truth. You don't know how many young people I know that are working hard 40 hours a week just so they can pay for the apartment. And they have a little bit to eat. Hey, how about staying with your parents, your parents' house if they offer? And you save that money. Wouldn't that be something? And the parents working at 60, 70 hours and they gladly have you in their home, and yet you want to just go live on your own. Well, this is what this guy did, this young son. And he squandered the money, as will happen. Because the Bible says, he had friends galore. If you have money, you'll have lots of friends. When the money is gone, the friends are gone. (laughs) And somehow it works like that. Real friends are not gone. But the guys that call themselves friends, they're gone. Have you ever experienced such a thing? Have you lived? If you've lived, you have have experienced this. Uh, So now he's deciding, you know what? (laughs) I'm working with the pigs. (laughs) It smells stinky over here. I want to get around. At home, even the servants have it better than me here. I'm going to go home. And I'm going to tell my dad, "Oh, Dad, I have sinned against you and against God. And would, you, would you hire me as a servant? I don't even have to be your son any longer. You know how I see the father? Where, where is that rocking chair of mine? I see the father on the patio, on the rocking chair, staring at the horizon. Day after day, not all day long, but plenty of time, he's rocking his, oh, oh, my son, (laughs) and he runs toward the son, he humiliates himself in the Middle East, this is uh, humiliating yourself when you as the father run to greet a disobedient son. He humiliates himself to go to his son. His son says, oh, dad, I have done, sh- I got a party for, hey, Joe. Oh, no, I'm sorry, but it's John. Oh, it's, it's George or whoever his name is. <laughs> hey, get the ring and the coat and the robe and, hey, kill the fettered calf. Let's throw a party. There's a band waiting over here. Let's play music and let's make merry. Let's make merry. For my son, he was lost, and now he's found. The father didn't even let him apologize completely. You know how you, how you rehearse an apology? You're going to, I'm going to say this and this and this, and this, let me see, I'm going to say this, and this, I'm going to say this, and this, and you come (laughs) here, you stutter a little bit, and before you can talk, you really talk, and say whatever you meant to say, your father shuts you up, and says, we have a party for you, waiting, and you can hear the band play, the music is playing, people are dancing, ah, they're throwing a party, the father couldn't wait to throw him a party, he's been waiting for a long time, to be able to throw a party for his son, I don't even know why I'm going there so hard. <laughs> Only to say this. That is in the kingdom of God. Jesus is comparing this with the kingdom of God. He, he tells three parables in this chapter. 15 of Luke. three. And in all three chapters, it is about something that was lost and then found. And the people that found this. It was about a lamb, it was about a coin, and then about the lost son. And the people that found them, these lost things back, they went to their neighbors and said, Hey, friends and neighbors, you come and rejoice with me and celebrate. My dear brothers and sisters, I get a little excited. Because in the kingdom of God, it is so different. And yet, in the church, too often... We act like it is the kingdom of the world. Because in the world, my dear brothers and sisters, if you were looking for reconciliation with someone else, you would be expected to crawl on your knees. (laughs) I'm so sorry. If perchance you even will get reconciliation. And you wonder, how long do I have to crawl? To get forgiveness. How long are they going to hold this thing against me? Before things are okay again. But here you have a father running to the son. To forgive him. And to be jubilant and, and celebrate. And be joyful about being able to forgive his son. Okay, that was just to make the difference. I got a little bit excited about the the, 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 the prodigal son, there, the the loving father, because there's so much to learn in there. So now I'll go to my my sermon. Um, I mentioned last week, because I'm winding up over here. I mentioned last week that. A long time ago, I want to say maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I was interested and I asked the Lord to teach me about grace. Excuse me. He showed me a few things and I couldn't handle it. It blew my mind. It was just too much for me. I couldn't. What? You mean? He does wrong, and I get to pay for it? Lord, it doesn't make sense. I still left it alone. And then maybe about eight or seven years ago, something like that, I don't know the exact years, but I just guesstimate a little bit, then the Lord started prompting me concerning grace, maybe a little bit longer ago. And he started to teach me about grace. And like Peter was saying, grow in grace He started showing me bits and pieces because it was too much for me when he showed me before. So he was very careful to show me bits and pieces. And I asked the Lord, Lord, if you show me, would you also show me intellectually so I can teach that to other people, my brothers and my sisters? Not because it is intellectually so stimulating or it requires so much intellect. It doesn't require much intellect at all. I'm just saying for the brain intellectually. So that I can, with words, and with, 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 with brain, and with, with, with exercise and illustrations, show the people what you are teaching me. Does that make sense? So as your pastor, here I am. I'm teaching you. I'm showing you a little bit what I have learned. And you, you might be way ahead of me. But maybe not everybody is way ahead of me. So I, 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 I'm, I'm talking. Uh, so, But being keen to give people something to hold on to, I always look for a way to express it in the English language. In this scenario, since you're English-speaking people. And so I came up with a definition that I thought was pretty good at that time. So my first definition was um, being a blessing or giving a blessing to someone who deserves the opposite. That was my first definition. And I thought that was pretty good. Do you think that's pretty good? Why? Not bad. Being a blessing or giving a blessing to someone who deserves the opposite. After all, it, it, it includes the idea that somebody did something wrong and and at, 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 on the other hand, I was be, would be a blessing or give them a blessing. Yes? Not bad. Then... I start realizing, oh, this is now maybe a couple of years later or so. As I'm pondering, I'm thinking, oh, that is not sufficient. I should add to that being a blessing or giving a blessing to someone who deserves the opposite, and that at my expense. So there's a cost involved. So the cost won't prohibit me from showing them a blessing even though they deserved the opposite yes and then give me a couple more years and then uh i said this is not enough i should be able to do this freely and joyfully so my new definition became being a blessing or giving a blessing freely and joyfully to someone who deserves the opposite at my expense Freely and joyfully became key words for me because if you don't do it freely, it is not grace. And if you don't do it joyfully, it is not grace. We'll get to all these different points, being a blessing, giving a blessing, freely, joyfully. We'll we'll treat them separately. And then give me a couple more years and then it became, uh, hey, not only at my expense, but for the purpose of setting them free. Now, if you have lived like I have lived, you know of people that they would give you a blessing when you did something wrong to them just to feel, make you feel more ashamed. Has that ever happened? Or do you know any of that? And that is a common practice. I do something nice for you even though you do something wrong to me so you can really stink in your shame. I'm telling you. This happens even between husbands and wives. Out of spite. That's exactly right. That's flesh. Out of spite. But, But not so in God's grace. In God's grace it has to do with our total exoneration. That is to say, to set you free from all guilt. To set you free from all shame. To set you free from all fear. We'll get to that. And then... I realized, oh, huh, that is that is only part of the idea. That what God did for me. So I added the words "unto victory" at the end. Not only set, do I need to set them free from their guilt and their shame, but I wish them well. I don't wish them eh, go get what you deserve. I wish them well. It's in my heart. May the Lord bless you. And then I thought, give me a couple more years. And just recently, not that long ago, it was this year sometime that the Lord pointed out to me that I want want you to add something to it. I want you to take the initiative. So my new and final definition, and hopefully it is not final because I am growing in grace. (laughs) So maybe in two months I have another definition for you. I don't know you get tired of my definitions, I know, but you shouldn't. Um, so then, so my new definition is taking the initiative of being a blessing or giving a blessing freely and joyfully to someone who deserves the opposite at my expense for the total for the purpose of total exoneration unto victory. So, well, Then I thought to myself, because I got it from the scriptures. The scriptures is what made me, oh, oh, I need to add this to my definition. Oh, I need to add this to my definition. So now I'm going to, since I have given you a definition, I want to show you the scriptural basis for the definition. So this is not just uh, some clever thinking. This is based on scripture. So we'll go with first taking the initiative. I'm going to try to take not too much time because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to finish this up today. Taking the initiative. As always, God is our example. Directly the Heavenly Father or sometimes through the Son, who is also God, He gives us an example as one that showed us here on earth how to do it or whatever, and then he is making a way for us then to do, not just to do it vertically, but to also do it horizontally. Are you following me? So I'm going to give you a couple of uh, uh, examples of vertically. He says in 1 John 1, uh, 1, John 4, 19, I want to say, he says uh, that we loved him, we love him because he first Loved us. Does that sound like an initiative? He first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Then uh, a scripture that, that means so much to me. Uh, when you were dead and you in your sins and the uncircumcision of, of your flesh, he had made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Having forgiven you all trespasses. Before you were even on the horizon. Before you were on anyone's mind. He had made provision for you for your sins to be forgiven on the cross. Are you with me? Okay. So, once again, he took the initiative. Then, as if that was not enough, I'll go to 2 Timothy 1.9, I want to say. 1-9 that has to do with that before the foundation of the world he has shared with us this grace. Is it up there? Who was who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given unto us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before time began, God has made provision for grace for us. Is that enough initiative for you? But when we have, when we have a, 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 a horizontal matter between two brothers, two sisters, a, a relational, a, 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 a church-wide, a, a, in employment, in, in, in family, in enjoyment, wherever it might be, in whatever place you are, he says, hey, listen, if you're going to church, And you bring a gift to the altar. And there, at the altar, you remember that a brother has something against you. You think you're doing pretty good, you're bringing a gift. But God says, I don't want your gift. He says, go settle the matter with your brother first. Then come bring the gift. Then come bring the offering. You see what i'm saying he says he says not only leave your offer, your offering over there he says take the initiative you don't wait for your brother to come to you you go to your brother take the initiative and do not delay do i get it out of there do not delay go right now you come to the altar you realize somebody has your brother has something against you leave your offering over there go take care of it right now don't delay You take the initiative. You're not waiting for your brother. These are some principles to go by in the relationships, my brothers and sisters. And some families, and some families, unless you initiate reconciliation, it won't happen. Well, sometimes they're not open to it. Sometimes they're simply not open to it. But in Romans it says, you know, Uh, as uh, you can do yesterday. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, okay. So that is the initiative. Then the second part is uh, taking the initiative of being a blessing or uh, giving a blessing. Well, that blessing, you know what a blessing is. So that blessing can be all kinds of things. That blessing can be uh, a nice gesture. Right? Yes? That is a blessing. When somebody acts nice to you it's a blessing even in traffic it's a a blessing no you're trying to get in you're trying to get in you've been waiting for seven minutes and then somebody just stops and says hey go go is that another blessing i have discovered that my life gets so much better when i'm kind in traffic A simple thing. Kind in traffic. And my life is so much better. I don't have to... You know. I'm just chilling, baby. I'm just chilling. Go ahead. If I rush, I just gain two minutes. Why not have my heart rate at a regular place and, and and have a nice drive? and I get there two minutes on time, you know, instead of two minutes early, is it worth it? So even in traffic, there is a kindness that you can display. So uh, a blessing would be maybe uh, a kind word to somebody. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. People need kind words. That is a blessing. You remember a lady named Lorena? Lorena? She sits here usually? 25 or 26 years old? She's been to our church since she was 11 years old? Lorena? She, yeah, a little boy, uh, uh, TJ, CJ. Uh, and we were having a lunch. It was not the last Sunday, but uh, the last lunch before that. And we're having lunch over there. And she walks up to me, and she puts her arm around me, and she says to me, Pastor? Your smile makes me so happy. Those were kind words to me. That blessed me. That I could just with a smile bless a young woman. Makes her so happy. I started pondering that. In my quiet time, you know, I sit in my quiet time, and sometimes I sit like this in my quiet time. Pouring. Otherwise, I sit like this, just pondering. Looking outside the window. The birds are over there. Some trees over there, some plants that Sybil this. And I'm pondering. And this time I was pondering. Oh, Lord. Lord, you're trying to tell me that even with something as little as a smile, I can bless somebody? Wow, what a blessing I can be to everybody. Kind words, smile, ho, woo, woo! Oh, we're dancing. We have the party now for me. Blessing. I'll get away from the blessing. I'm going out to freely. Freely and joyfully. Freely and joyfully. Freely, that means freely, means freely. (laughs) Profound. That, That means it is a gift. Your blessing is a gift. Now, when it is a gift, my dear brothers and sisters, there are certain connotations that go with that. When it's a gift means I cannot pay for it. Yes? Immediately when you pay for it, it disqualifies it as a gift. When you pay for it, it now makes it a purchase. It's no gift any longer. It has now become a purchase. If you work for it, that gift has now become a wage. It's not a gift any longer. It has become a wage. So, the whole idea is that when you are gracious to people, you don't expect anything in return, lest it would be a sale or lest it would be a wage. Free. Totally free. Ephesians, let me give you a scripture. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift Of God. The gift of God. For by grace, he's speaking about grace, are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That is kingdom business, brothers and sisters. That is kingdom business. I'm going to go a little bit faster because I'm afraid if I give too many examples that... uh, so it is freely, it's a gift. Now, the joyfully part, you remember also, I made a big deal about the party that the father threw for the, what we call the prodigal son. And how the prodigal son, I actually jump a little bit ahead because it is, it is all related freely. So what do you think the prodigal son deserved? Blur it out. It's right what you're thinking. Don't, don't think I'm, um, it's a trick question. This is not a trick question. This is just like a, to help you along a little bit. Huh? No, no, no. What, what did he deserve? That is He didn't deserve that. He deserved a, a good, huh? He, didn't deserve he deserves nothing. Well, I tell you what he deserves. He deserves something. He deserves a good pump kick in the pants or whatever. <laughs> That's what he deserved. Hey, go to your room. Hey, get ghost. That's what he deserved. But that's, yes, Brother John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the Old Testament, who knows what would have happened. Uh, So, but the Father showed him grace. But he deserved a good licking, a good whooping is what he deserved. But is that what he got? No, he got a blessing instead. Freely and joyfully. Joyfully. They threw a party. Huh? The father was glad. He was, he was looking for him to come back. He was really looking to throw him a party. He was glad. He says, let's make merry. Let's make joy. Let's celebrate this thing. The older brother was, was that's a different story, of course. But we're not, we're not going there quite yet. So, if you if you let me give you a scripture, then I go to the next point. I give you Hebrews 12:2, looking unto Jesus. We're talking about joyfully, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Okay? <clears throat> so I'm going to bring that in the cost. But I may as well bring it in now because it's all related. Do you remember in the Old Testament the story of Hosea? Anybody? How God had asked Hosea to marry his wife who had become a prostitute? Um... This, this actually, this comes under the cost of, of grace. When you give grace, there's a cost involved. But can you imagine the shame of, 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 of Hosea? Yes? Yes? How in town people would say, Man, that's Hosea, man. I don't know about him. Every time, every time Hosea and Gomer come, you see people go, You know, you will be the talk of the town in the, in the way of shame. There's a cost involved. But he, uh, what, 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 what Jesus did on that cross, he did it joyfully because he knew that people were going to be set free for him to go on that cross. And that is what he's asking us to do. That when you show grace to people, you set them free. And... That brings great joy to you, and not only great joy, but it gives you spiritual power. And I'm wondering why so few Christians have spiritual power to live the Christ-like life of grace and joy and kindness and friendliness and courteousness and consideration and love and all these things and peace. When you do the things of the kingdom, you get the things of the kingdom. When you do the things of the world, you get the things of the world. That's just the way it is. So, now then, fifthly, to someone who deserves the opposite. We gave you already the example of the young brother, uh, the prodigal son, he came home. He deserves the opposite, and he comes and he gets grace. I have often wondered why it was so, why it is so difficult. We have to deal with the flesh. We have to deal with the influence of the world. I understand some of these things, but why is it so difficult? Um, excuse me, for God, who has given us, who has forgiven us, so much, so much. And then for us to forgive a brother so little. Yeah, flesh has something to do with it. Is, you know, Jesus gives us a story like that. I mentioned it to you last week of a king settling his account with his servants. And there's one servant he couldn't pay it back in a lifetime and then some. He could never pay it back, the debt that he owed the king. And the king says, I'm going to throw you in in prison. And he begs and, and pleads with the king. Would you forgive? He was going to throw him him and his wife and children in prison. And then the the king has compassion, and he says, okay, I forgive you all. The the NIV, I think, describes it as, as some millions of dollars. I forget now exactly, but a large amount that he could never, as a servant, pay back. The servant walks out of the palace. I don't know at what point this was. If this was minutes later... Or if this was hours later. But he walks out of the palace, sees a fellow servant who owes him a little bit. He chokes him and throws him in jail. Thankfully, some other some other servants saw this. And they went to complain to the king. And said, king, you never know what happened. You forgave him so much and look what happened. The king pff, summoned him back. And the, the Bible says he threw him into the tormentors, the chambers of the tormentors. I don't know who these tormentors are. You don't, you, I don't know who they are. I just know that if you get thrown to the tormentors, you get tormented. <laughs> the implication, oh, actually not the implication, the story is about the fact that God has given you so much and you have a hard time forgiving your brother so little. The last verse says, so will you have any fun to do with you if you from your heart don't forgive your brother his trespasses from the heart not just lip service yes of what t- yes Yes, I don't know exactly where you're going, but I think I know where you're going. Are you, are you talking about. Uh, you he, I think he was so with the guy that owned him a little bit because he probably to pay back to whoever the, the rich guy was. <laughs> okay, I buy that. I buy that. Uh, yes, okay. Um, okay. So, but here you have the example of a guy who's been forgiven so much. And yes, he has a hard time forgiving somebody else so little. And I've often wondered, oh, why Why are we like that? Why are we like that? I've got to look at a time here. Okay, we're still pretty decent. Uh, so, now we're getting to number six, at my expense. At my expense. You think to yourself, okay, Kenny, so far so good. I've sort of bought into what you've been talking about, but you're trying to tell me that I get to foot the bill of this guy's wrongdoings? Let me give you a quote from Philip Yancey, who has a lot to say about grace and whose book I really love about grace. I'm not into Philip Yancey, uh, that is to say, whatever doctrine he has. I don't know what doctrine he has. Some people have a problem with him. Uh, this, this book is not about doctrine. This book is about uh, uh, stories, accounts of grace and ungrace, forgiveness and unforgiveness. That's what it's about. And then you can make up your own mind as I'm going to ask you today that you take this before the Lord and let him deal with you in this area of grace as to how it applies to you exactly. So, Yancy says this, and I'm not against Yancy. I'm just, you know, I'm, uh, neither here nor there. Grace costs nothing for the recipient, but everything for the giver. God's grace is not a grandfatherly display of niceness, for it costs the exorbitant price of Calvary. My dear brothers and sisters, for you to have been forgiven, it costs Jesus the exorbitant price of of Calvary. God is not asking us to go to the cross to forgive somebody else. He's just asking us sometimes just to swallow our pride. Like I said last week, when it comes to grace, that doesn't mean that there is no correction. That doesn't mean that there's no discipline. That doesn't mean, matter of fact, discipline might be one of the most gracious things you can do. You just have to be sure before the Lord, not only that you do it, but how you do it, that you do it in a gracious way. Even I have to be careful that when I preach about grace, I teach about grace, that I do it in a graceful way. Because... When you talk about oh, some of the things that you experience, you might be ungracious about it. I don't want to be that, like that. So, But there's a price to be paid, my dear brothers and sisters. The person who gives grace, it costs you. So before you think, oh, I want to be so graceful and gracious, think about it. There's a cost involved. It costs you. As we talked with uh, Hosea and, 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 and Homer, uh, Gomer, it, 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 it had to do with, with maybe shame. Um, the father humiliating himself when he ran to the son. Uh, the wrath of the older son. Uh, last week I gave you the examples of the, the workers that uh, the, the vineyard owner had gone early in the morning, got some workers. Went at nine o'clock, went at noon, went at three o'clock, went at five o'clock. At six o'clock he asked his accountant to pay the, The the workers in a reverse order, the the last one first, and everything was good up to that point. But when he paid the last ones first, all hmm, broke loose. Because though he had an agreement with the first group to pay him one denarius for the day, he paid the last group who had worked just for one hour also one denarius. And the guys that had worked all day long, what do you think happened? Yeah, they got upset. <laughs> Would you get upset? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but the, the owner paid the first group the exact amount that they had agreed upon. He didn't do anything wrong. And he's asking the question, this is my money. Can I not be, uh, how you call it? Huh? Uh, generous is the word, generous. My one, my band to somebody else. Can, can I not be generous with, with my own money? He says, he called them, huh? Well, I'm coming down in just a little bit. Uh, so uh where was I? So he was generous to the the guys that worked for one hour. he was not ungenerous to the guys that were. He he paid them what they had coming, what they had agreed upon. And uh, so then uh, last week I mentioned to you, then someone said, perhaps, perhaps the last group, they were hard workers. And they worked harder than anybody else. And that's why the owner gave them so much money uh, for so little work. You missed the whole point of the whole story if that's what you're thinking. Not only did Jesus made it crystal clear that they didn't have work, they were idle in the street when the owner found them. Nobody else was too quick to get them. <laughs> and yet, my dear brothers and sisters, I'm trying to make the point to you. There are so many people like the older son, that think that they have been so good to God. They were God's gift to God. And yet, they have a hard time to forgive a brother joyfully and freely. Humble. That's a that's a different lesson, sister. But we 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 that is one of my favorite words as well, one of my favorite words, one of my fa- if not my most favorite word. I ah, maybe grace is the one, and humble humble hum, 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 the second one. Uh I gave you the, the idea of Hosea. So I I I I'll give you one crazy one. Forget that I even mentioned that you you. If I would, you, 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 you've heard about the sex scandals in the politi- politi- politics these days? All over the news, All over the news you can, it's hard to miss it even. If you try to miss it, you can't. Uh, if I would ask you, not you, I'm just talking in general. If I would ask you to forgive one of these politicians the offenses that he committed to this person, Depending on what group this guy belongs to and what group that you belong to, you would think I lo- you would tell me you lost your mind. If it was from the group that you belong to, you'd applaud it. If it was from the group that you don't belong to, you would, you would be upset. And I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about Christian folks. My dear brothers and sisters, don't try this, okay? I'm not telling you to try this. But if you would just, if you go on Facebook and you say, we should forgive such and such and such and such, you see what happens to your Facebook. (laughs) My dear brothers and sisters, grace carries a cost. The person who extends grace to somebody else, there is a cost involved. The person who receives grace, there is no cost whatsoever. Last one. Total exoneration. So that in grace, you have taken the initiative to be a blessing or to give a blessing freely and joyfully to someone who deserves the opposite uh, at your expense to, uh, to, to exonerate them, to set them free. Uh, to exonerate means to... to Take away the burden. Ex means out, so you take out of them a burden. Exonerate. There is the exonerare is, is, is one of the words that is in there, and there is a word named onus is in there. You know what the onus means? The onus is on you. The burden is on you. So you have exonerated them. That means you have lifted. You have lifted their burden. You have taken their burden out, their shame out, their what they owe out. I give you a story. I wish that uh, Lily and Joe were here because this is a story about Lily's father. Lily's father. Pete Cancino is his name. I love Pete Cancino. Pete Cancino is a preacher and a school teacher. I was, he's retired now, and a veteran. I love Pete Cancino. On many levels, I love Pete Cancino. Pete Cancino is also a good tennis player and he played tennis with doctors a lot. At 38, boom, heart attack, quadruple bypass. They were not sure he was going to make it. Quadruple heart heart, uh, bypass. The surgery is successful. He's laying in his bed after surgery. And the hospital, Then this has nothing to do with guilty and not guilty, okay, because you remember in grace, there's a guilty thing and a non-guilty thing, right? Somebody who deserves the opposite. So, okay. But this is not the, uh, this. This is the illustration concerning exoneration, total forgiveness, paid in full. No charge. So the hospital administrator comes to his room, and he says to him, "Who are you? You must be somebody really special." He says, "No, I'm not all that special. I'm a teacher and a..." And a and a, and a preacher, and uh, why do why are you asking? It says here, no charge, paid in full. The doctor has forgiven you what you owe. You don't have to pay a penny. Matter of fact, ah, I won't tell you that part. Ah. total debt forgiven paid in full no charge now you know what a quadruple bypass would cost they put in three stents for me two hours seventy thousand dollars that was just the doctor's bill that was not a hospital bill okay so you can imagine quadruple bypass what that would have cost him and how many years he would have to pay for it no charge Paid in full. Unto victory. Unto victory. As you have forgiven this person. As you have uh, 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 totally exonerated them. As you have given a blessing. And it costs you something. And they deserve the opposite. And, and then as they are going their way. You're saying to them. God bless you. I wish you all the best before the Lord. You go in victory. Because my dear brothers and sisters, this is exactly what God has in mind. Do you think for one moment that Jesus died this cruel death on the cross, of which the physical pain was not the the, the most uh, 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 significant pain. It was the pain of carrying all the burdens of all the people of all time on his shoulders. And that he did that so that you can go to heaven in the future, but that you have to live in hell here on earth in the, at the present. I don't think so, brothers and sisters. It is inconceivable to me, besides the fact that it's not true according to the scriptures, that he has victory for us in mind here on earth. I don't know exactly what a victory looks like. But when you're in it, you know it. And when you're in defeat, you know it. So, anyways. So, my dear brothers and sisters, grace. I have confessed to you that grace in the past has blown my mind. Yeah, you preach like that, Pastor. (laughs) It has blown my mind. So maybe you are at a place where this is too much for you. I don't know. It was too much for me. So I'm not down on you if this is too much for you. I'm just saying, take what you think is good for you and apply it before the Lord to your life. My dear brothers and sisters, because one inch of grace will bring miles of joy and power.